Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Community Is Our Middle Name podcast, presented by Grampians Community Health. My name is Gareth Oliver. Thank you for joining me again this week. This week, with the 16 days of activism kicking off and the spotlight going on to respect for women and the issues of violence against women and family violence, I'm speaking with Dawn, who is a family violence therapeutic practitioner, aka counsellor, here at Grampians Community Health. And we're talking about family violence. We're busting some myths. We're talking about some stats and our horrible stats that we are seeing across this country. We're also talking about what we can do to perhaps change that and about speaking out, especially men, calling out other men when we're seeing behavior that is really not cool and when we're seeing disrespect towards women and children in particular. It's a pretty tough subject, family violence. It affects far too many people in this country, but it's something we need to talk about. And so, like I said, uh, we're talking about it this week on the Community Is Our Middle Name podcast. And it's proudly brought to you by Grampians Community Health for you, your family, and our community. I'm here with Dawn, who is a family violence therapeutic practitioner, which is a fancy way of saying a family violence counsellor. Dawn, thank you very much for joining me this week on the podcast. You're very welcome, Gareth. It's a pleasure to meet with you today. Yeah, over uh, over teams again. Uh, Dawn and I used to share the office every now and then, which was always a good crack, but um, haven't been able to do that for a little while, I'm afraid, Dawn. But, I thought we'll have a bit of a lighthearted uh, start because we're talking about something that is very serious and it's Indeed. a big problem in this country in particular and across the world. But as the 16 days of activism kicks off on the 25th of November, we're going to be talking a bit about family violence and um, some of the stats around family violence in this country, which are shocking. So, Dawn, can you just give us a bit of background about uh, how you got into this role, what your, what your history is in, in this field and, and, sure. and stuff like that? Thank, thank you for asking, Gareth. So, um, I am myself a survivor or what we call a cycle breaker. 20 odd years free of domestic violence. Thankfully, the lived experience led me to go into college, which led me to go into university as a mature student. And my first job was in domestic violence working as a counselling support worker in the UK. Um, since that time, I've worked ostensibly in the domestic violence sector in various roles, predominantly counselling, but case management, an advocate on a men's behavioural change programme, and also in the sexual assault service for the Northern Territory Government. I have worked in quite a lot of specialist roles over my career, um, really advising workers on their management and support of clients living with family and domestic violence, Gareth. So that's an extensive, extensive background. And we won't get into the, the lived experience stuff because it's uh, a whole other topic. Yeah. But we can talk about some of the stats. But actually, before we get into the stats, you worked in the UK. People can probably pick your accent up. You are from England. 
Um, what, what's the, the the difference between that you've seen working in in England and the UK compared to Australia? Yeah, thank you for asking, Gareth. Massive difference, sadly, from my lived experience of the work. In the UK, I only came across one case of extreme physical violence in my two and a half years in my role there. Um, most of the violence seems in the UK at that point to sit more in the psychological and emotional space. At that time, there was no legislation capturing those offences. Now, the UK does have laws against coercive control of women, which is more the psychological, emotional um, component, the invisible component of the experience. So here in Australia, I think the level of violence, the severity, I find quite shocking. And I know currently, uh, particularly since COVID, services are reporting not just an increase in numbers, but an increase in the severity of harm to women and children, Gareth. So I, I see it as a stark difference between the two countries. Um, in the UK, we tend to be more proactive. So, for example, now in the UK, under the coercive control legislation, police are actively meeting with survivors of domestic violence situations, interviewing them, taking statements. So, for example, one male may have perpetrated on, say, half a dozen women. Those statements are being taken from those women and the police are reporting a 96% conviction rate in charging that perpetrator. That's impressive, isn't it? It's, it's a great, it's a great approach and I think it has great merit, Gareth, because beyond the obvious, you know, removing these men to get to their next target, their next woman, I think it's sending out a very clear message to men who choose to abuse women. Yeah. And we say we say men because, and look, we're not saying that this doesn't happen to men because we know that it does. Right. But if you look at the stats, 75% of perpetrators in this country are male. It's overwhelmingly yeah. men perpetrating family violence against women and children. And as you mentioned, when people think of family violence, we think of we think of the real physical stuff, the, the fists or sexual assault, but, but there's mm-hmm. more than that, isn't there? There is more than that, and you know the harm, so the harm that psychological and emotional abuse does to a human being. You cannot really appreciate the depths of that harm until I guess you're in the role I currently do, where you're meeting with that woman and listening to the severity, the the, gra- the gravity of what has been done to them. Psychological abuse, Gareth, is no different to torture and trauma. Torture that is used currently as a method, for example, of getting information out of people. It's the same effect. And I think that is something that we do really need to raise awareness in our work because it is invisible and it's very difficult to capture an evidence 
for police and court and so on. And which is why we see such a large percentage of our cases coming through where the man has not laid a finger on the woman. But I always say to clients, imagine your partner's tongue being replaced with a fist. Does that sort of help you realise the gravity of what you're living? Physical bruises heal much much more quickly than psychological bruises, don't they? It's an interesting point because many clients will say to you, I'd rather take a bashing and get it over with than have to live 24-7 with his control, domination and emotional manipulation of me. Very common statement. And when, when we talk about stuff like this, this probably leads to why we have such massive underreporting. I, I believe I, I, I read doing some research for this, 80% of family violence cases get unreported in Australia, which is staggering. Yes, yes, yes. I'm not, I am not surprised. I mean, in my role, I do support women who are still in the abuse. And what's been interesting lately, there's a trend in our work in GCH, in the team, where women who've been in a a really severe level of abuse, Gareth, for 20-odd years, okay? There is no record of a police report. There is no intervention order. No one would know, apart from the man and the woman living that experience. And then when the stories start to unfold the level of monitoring in these cases where the woman's movement is so restricted. So, for example, it's not uncommon for a perpetrator to check the mileage on a woman's car. And if that mileage is exceeding where she says she's gone, for example, what that might mean for her. You know, so this might sound nothing to someone on the outside looking in, but that's a really strong form of control. Yeah. Yeah, even something as simple nowadays as anyone can, can jump on someone else's phone and see who you've been messaging or who you've been calling or who you've been talking to. And it can yes. be the most innocent thing in the world. But if you've got someone who's got those, those issues, those controlling issues, Indeed. that can be a very dangerous situation. You're right. And you know, we have had women report where They've fallen asleep on the sofa. They're still with the perpetrator. He's safe. Her phone is fingerprint, passworded. He'll just lift her finger and put it on the phone and he's in. Or there's been cases where they'll lift the print with sellotape and access the phone that way. So it, it, it is a real issue. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now we, we were talking before we started recording that... Um, the stats that I found were one in six women will experience some form of, of uh, either physical or, or sexual violence across their lifetime. But you have your stats are a bit a bit different and a bit more shocking than that. Yeah. So look, um, some time ago when White Ribbon was still up and running, they were stating a one in three statistic, and I've seen it around this year as well. So I don't know if that shift is as a direct consequence of COVID, Gareth, 
but it's a very realistic statistic. But as we said, you know, that is you've got to factor in the under report and non report, which then shifts it to something else again. So it's a very common problem, serious problem. Yeah, I think you, from from memory, you said with the underreporting, it's about one in two. Indeed, every other. Yeah. Just, ah, uh, just it's it's terrifying. Agree. Uh, another another shocking stat as well, which people might not necessarily realise, is that one woman is killed by a current or former partner every week in Australia. I believe you've got the current stats as well, but this is now I should I should, I should actually get up where I got my stats from. I got mine from from the Mission Australia domestic and family violence stats. Excellent. Okay. I mean, I guess what I want to say to you, Gareth, getting an exact figure or, for example, statistics, say, for our region is very difficult. I tried last year through police um, and various formalised channels where you're allowed to just do that. And it's very much restricted information. It's quite a hot potato. I was quite taken aback uh, personally. I didn't realise how challenging it would be until I tried. So the information I have, as at the 16th of October 2021, we have 35 homicides as a direct consequence of family and domestic violence in Australia. Which would come back to about that one one per week, wouldn't it? Yep, yep, it, it runs pretty true to that, unfortunately. Yeah, and so we've talked a lot about, about women being a target of domestic violence, which the numbers overwhelmingly show they are, but um, also one man per month is killed um, by a current or former partner, which I think a lot of people don't realise as well, because we also talked about there would be a huge underreporting in stats of, of men reporting any family violence or, or sexual assault, or men don't even understand, and a lot of people, a lot of women as well, probably don't understand some of the ways that they, you can be involved in family violence, like we spoke about earlier, with the, the coercion and things like that. Yeah, it's a really good point because, you know, coercive control is, you know, literally by virtue of the word covert. It's hidden. It's invisible. And this is where a lot of our cases sit, unfortunately. So it does make it very difficult um, with those cases to get the evidence to apply, for example, for a family violence intervention order. And a lot of the men who do perpetrate in this manner, they, they know exactly what they're doing. They're quite sophisticated in their perpetration and harm of women from a psychological and emotional standpoint. So, you know, it's, um, there, there is talk um, here in Australia at the moment of them considering the coercive control laws that are in place in the United Kingdom. I'm aware that Queensland is planning to implement those laws during the course of their four-year government and that also that the Northern Territory government are giving them serious consideration. I don't know about the rest of Australia at the moment or where that legislation is sitting or that proposed legislation. But that would make a big difference to our client group, Gareth. I did see yesterday when I was doom scrolling through Twitter that um, the Victorian government is bringing in new consent laws, which, yes. which 
probably sh- will help with um, some of the um, sexual assault stuff that we unfortunately see in, in epidemic proportions. Dawn White, we'll, we'll get into some of the myths a bit later on, but I just want to get from you, why why do you believe it's such a problem in this country? What is it about Australia? And you've obviously come from a, another country and you've, you've quite well travelled. What is it about here that, that seems to make it, that it seems to be such a bad place for these sort of things, for family violence and sexual violence? It's a really good question, and I guess I'm really mindful of not being Australian. I'm not sure if I've got a right really to speak to this, but the culture, there, there is a real, the patriarchy, what we call the patriarchy, is alive and well, and it's essentially men ruling and setting rules and norms, it would seem, in, in, in the country here. I'm a little bit disinclined to say too much on that because it is political, but it's attitude. I guess in other countries, the role of woman, the positioning of woman can be very different. But it does appear here in Australia that there's some notion of ownership of woman or that woman needs to be defined through the male. So it's it's attitudinal and cultural in, in my view. And it is something to think about, and then you wonder if maybe how much of a prevalence alcohol might might take well, it, as well. I'm really glad you've raised that point, Gareth, because we do see in our work commonly where the perpetrator is alcohol or drug affected, and the woman will say, "Ah, oh, he only abuses me when he's drunk. It's the alcohol. It's not him." In my work, I'm very clear with my clients. We talk about the use of alcohol or drug creating disinhibition. And we all know that when we've had a few drinks or whatever, we cannot actually censor what we say and do when we are disinhibited. Okay? We can't. And I always make clear that for my clients to understand that what the alcohol is actually doing is exposing the truth of the person that they are partnered with. What they say and do under the influence of alcohol or drug is their truth. And it's a really, really important understanding, okay, because... It's not that the drinking alcohol per se is the cause of the violence. The capacity for the violence is already within that person. So that is a really, really important point. Yeah, and that's always been a... I think it's becoming a a, a tiny bit less of a cultural thing in Australia at the moment, but it's always been a a really big thing, you know, is uh, alcohol is just part of life here. And yes. if you've got someone who perhaps can't control themselves when they're um, under the influence of alcohol or drugs, maybe they should be looking at something else. Look, I agree with that 100%, yes. But you're right, Australia is very much a drinking culture. It's part of the ways of being, and maybe that's an area that needs to be critically looked at as a driver, a further driver for the volume of family and domestic violence cases occurring in this country. 
Yeah, I'll, I agree with you 100%. And it's funny, as, as you know, I'm not a drinker. When I, I worked in the Northern Territory, um, my staff up there who were all bar, bar one were from, you know, different ethnic backgrounds, different parts of the world. And I was only one of the person born in Australia. They, they couldn't <laughs> believe that there was a, um, a, a young Aussie guy who didn't drink. They found that astonishing. Yeah. Uh, so to me, that, that shit, that says this is what people outside of Australia are seeing as our culture, and then you, yeah. you, you, you can tie that back into the to that family violence. And we, you're saying about people are, are disinhibited. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's it's a cultural thing we really have to look at. That's just my two cents, anyway. I, look, I agree a hundred percent. I think it would be a really good point of starting. And um, myself, when I was up in the territory, I did attend a seminar presented by police and they spoke about call outs and the use of alcohol and drug you know in terms of their arrests and the numbers and you know anyone who's been up to Darwin will know there's a common again myth up there that the Aboriginal people the the long grasses are a problem and they get drunk and run amok and what the police in that presentation were very clear their statistics reflected that the primary issue in Darwin at that time was the white Australian male and alcohol yeah, um, yeah. which is not to say that there isn't an issue amongst indigenous communities with, with alcohol we know there is but yeah that, that was my experience when I was up there too and I found that, um, you know, most of the Aboriginal people left me alone. But, um, it was the, the, some of the drunken idiots in uh, Mitchell Street on a Saturday night who'd want to have punch with us people. Um, yeah. Dawn, uh, we might take a really quick break, and then we might come back after the break with a few myths that we're going to bust around family violence. So stick around. Community's Eminal Name podcast is proudly brought to you by Grampians Community Health. Grampians Community Health offers a wide range of services across the Wimmera and Grampians part of Victoria. We service areas such as the Northern Grampian Shire Council, Arrow Rural City Council, Horsham Rural City Council, Pyrenees Shire, West Wimmera Shire, Hindmarsh Shire, Yarriambiak Shire, Central Goldfield Shire and Southern Grampians Shire. Services available include alcohol and other drug support, carer support, community aged care and disability support, including home care package case management, NDIS support coordination and plan management, counselling across a wide range of sectors, including generalist counselling, homelessness support, gambler's health support, community mental health support, and much, much more. For more information, head to our website, gch.org.au, or give us a call Monday to Friday, business hours on 53587400. The Community's Eminal Name podcast, like I said, is proudly brought to you by Grampians Community Health for you, your family, and our community. And welcome back. I'm here with Dawn, family violence therapeutic practitioner, aka counsellor here at Grampians Community Health. We're talking 16 days of activism 
We're talking family violence. We spoke a bit about some of the stats before the break. We're now going to talk a bit about some of the some of the myths. We're going to do some myth busting, Dawn, which I, I love myth busting. I still love the show Mythbusters too, actually. Cool. Yes. 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 So one one of the main myths that I really want to bust is that family violence only happens in poor households. That's the stereotype, is the the lower socioeconomic income household, you know, where they might struggle to make ends meet and the stress builds up. Yeah. Yeah. But that's that's not true, is it? No, it's an absolute fallacy. So domestic violence, family violence occurs across culture, creed, colour, class, Everything, it's, you know, it uh, doesn't leave anyone untouched. It, it, you know, it's, it, it's a human problem, Gareth. Yeah, probably more easily swept under the rug for people who can afford to. Well, indeed, you know, I mean, I, I could tell you of cases that I'm aware of, of high, at a high level where extreme physical harm has been done to women and children, but the perpetrators had the medical knowledge to, Make it right, shall we say. Horrific stuff. So it, it's certainly not specific to low socioeconomic uh, families at all. And it sort of leads into the next myth as well, which is that family violence is, is rare. And we spoke a bit about this before the break, about yeah. one in six uh, women and one in 16 men experience family violence through their life. And that's that's the reported stuff. That's correct. That's correct. So, as, as we were discussing, you know, the under-report and non-report, that will be quite a large volume of people. Uh, my understanding from police, Gareth, is that, you know, more women are having the confidence to report. There's a definitive improvement, but just by the cases we're seeing, you know, how long it's taking a woman to have the courage to report. Why do you think that, that is gone? Just why, why do you why do you think it's, it takes so long? Is it a stigma thing, uh, or is it like you said, you know, fear of, fear of losing family and friends? Um, why do you, why do you think that that is? I think it's a whole range of things, Gareth, and it's very individual to the individual. Every case is different. It can be, like you said, a loss of that sense of place and purpose in the family system having a partner or not, what will people say, will I be believed, you know, what will I do, where will I go, a lot of women do not leave because they are so burnt out and brainwashed, essentially drained, so emotionally and physically drained, they do not have the strength to leave. And if you look at Seligman's model for learnt helplessness, the model for depression is a really good, probably, example of what that might be like for a woman in domestic and family violence. So even if they're given the option to leave, they may not choose to take that option at that point. The point is with these issues, Gareth, Leaving domestic and family violence is quite often a stage process. Yeah, that's that was going to be one okay. of my other points. Actually, is that's one of the things that you hear people say. You know, oh, was that bad? Why don't you just leave? That also doesn't take into consideration that one, they could be leaving 
people behind, uh, who would be the ones who then, you know, cop the wrath. And two, right. it's very easy to find people nowadays. Very true, particularly through e- e-tech, a lot electronic technology abuse, which is a massive problem, you're correct. But it is known statistically leaving an abusive situation, the average statistic is seven attempts. Okay? Leave, go back, try to leave, don't leave. He leaves, she lets him back. Or he manipulates her to take him back, more to the point. Every case is different, but seven attempts is recorded as the mean average. Wow. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's also one of the biggest drivers of homelessness, especially amongst um, older women, who are one of the biggest. Now, I'm going back to when we did some stuff about homelessness week back in, I think it was August. I believe that women over 50 are the the largest group of homeless people in this country, and, and domestic violence is actually a big driver for that. It is the primary driver, Gareth. It is the primary cause of homelessness in women and children in Australia. Fact. Yeah, well, yet another thing that's sad. I think of everything we've talked about has got a really sad tinge to it, unfortunately. So another, another myth is that it only happens when men lose control. Now, we spoke a bit about this before the break. It's not about loss of control, is it? It's, it's more about more control. Okay, I guess um, just to be clear, are you referring there to when a woman attempts to leave? I'm just talking about family violence in general. When it happens, is, is people think, oh, well, you know, he lost control, he won't do it again. Ah, well put, well put, no. No, look, um, family violence, in our work anyway, because uh, our clients, you know, they're being subjected to a pattern of behaviour by the perpetrator. We refer to that sometimes as the cycle of violence. But what is key in family violence for a perpetrator to do what they need to do to their victim, they must have dominance, manipulation and control of their victim. So at the heart of abuse is control, be it psychological, physical, emotional, financial, sexual all of those different domains, yes? Yeah, so when that, that sort of blows the, well, he was provoked argument out of the water, doesn't it? It does indeed, because, again, in my work, I guess the myth-busting I do at that end is women will talk about walking on eggshells, facts, you know, tippy-toe around, and they will say, well, I did this, I did that, I did the other but it was never right. No matter what I do, it's never right. And the reason for it is this. Perpetrator abuse of a victim, why they do it, what triggers them, is elicited from within their psyche. It comes from within the mind of the perpetrator. It is not outside looking in. So it does not matter what that woman does or does not do, the perpetrator is going to perpetrate regardless. That is a really, really important point. 
because many women do everything in their power to try and healthily control the abuse, if that makes sense, or reduce it, manage it effectively. So the stuff you're talking about, the, the walking leg shells, is that what, what we hear uh, called gaslighting nowadays, which is a no. very much a um, buzzword at the moment? No, 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 no. Gaslighting is, is not that at all. Gaslighting is, is part of the psychological abuse. So gaslighting is where your reality, if I'm speaking to you now, which I am, and I say to you, oh, Gareth, the background letters on your screen are red. And you'll go, no, they're not. They're Green. No, 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 they're red, mate. They're red. No, it's all in your head. They're red. Fits in with the brainwashing. Okay. If you gaslight someone enough because it's about destabilizing them and getting them to doubt themselves, trust themselves, can they trust their own mind? Did he say that? Didn't he? So gaslighting is a very uh, effective way of destabling a person psychologically. Which of course is a form of violence, isn't it? A very, very severe form of violence. Very harmful form of violence, which takes time to repair and recover from, Gareth. The walking on eggshells is what that refers to is the tension in the home, the tension in the space, when a perpetrator is in that space, it's quite tangible. You know, don't make noise, you'll get your dad angry. Don't do this, don't do that. Make sure everything's in place. It's a very unhealthy space to be in, Gareth. Another myth is that violent men come from violent backgrounds themselves. That's not always the case, is it? Well, I mean, I guess what we're talking about, you know, is it violence? Do they come from a violent background or do they come from a dysfunctional background? We do know with perpetrators, there is always a history of some sort of emotional harm in their childhood. But that does not legitimise and make it okay for them to make poor choices as an adult in their relationships. And it's really important when we work with these men therapeutically to really speak to that. You know, no one's happy that they've had a dysfunctional upbringing. However, there's a point in time where one needs to take responsibility and make those changes. So, yeah, it's an important point because it can be used in some cases to minimise the gravity of the perpetrator behaviour. Even women will say, I, you know, I felt sorry for him because he, he was in foster care as a kid or I feel sorry for him because his, you know, his mum died at an early age or, you know, and, and all these, all these reasons are absolutely valid and merit worthy, but they do not excuse the choices of that individual to abuse. That is the point here. Yeah, and, and a lot of people have had tough upbringings as well, and that doesn't turn them into violent people at all. That's um, right. And there's probably a lot of people who come from pro- quite privileged backgrounds who've never been told no in their life, and the first time they get told that they can't do something they want to do, they will they lash out. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, and look, I agree. I think sometimes, you know, that that form of violence, that form of individuals possibly overindulged and more likely to engage in more social violence, not necessarily family violence. Mm. Um, I, I, I think they're probably quite separate um, issues, I think, really. It is another name for it is interpersonal abuse. You're being abused by someone who sh- supposedly loves you, should care for you, should protect you, should nurture you, and instead they're abusing you. So that is what feeds into the level of psychological harm because it erodes trust in the victim. Now, what about people who, who talk about about the false claims and that people are making it up? How, of, how often do we hear of false claims? Is it something that happens a lot or is it just an excuse that's been come up with for people to excuse their own terrible behaviour? That's a really good question, Gareth. Um, look, in my career, which is quite lengthy, I have come across it, but it's not common. It's not common at all. Okay, You know, I have had women present, a couple of women in my career, present as victims when, in fact, they were, you know, the perpetrator. Um, sometimes these matters may be raised because of possibly family court coming up, it can be used maybe as a lever, you know, in the wrong manner. But I have to say, I'm pleased to say that that scenario is not common at all, Gareth. I did have some um, percentages about what the, the actual number was, and I just I don't have it with me right at the moment. But it, yeah, it is it is a very low percentage. I think I think it's you know about five percent, which is. When you consider the amounts of family violence, you know, sexual violence we see in the country, that's, that's very, very small. Proportion. It's negligible. So, I, you know, I wouldn't consider it a, it's a massive problem. I think in, in all systems where there are possibly options for clients that may benefit in various ways, you may see a very small percentage of people coming through that maybe their intention is not honourable. But, um, yeah, it's not something that yeah, I'm aware of a big problem. It's far from common, that's for sure. It's yeah. And very, I, I very guess rare. if I could say to you, if I may, as a survivor myself, who wants to actually take ownership and, and, and say that they are a survivor of this issue? Why would you want to do that? Well, I think it shows great strength. I'm a survivor of this, and, and I think it's really it's really noble that you know someone like yourself who is a cycle breaker and has then been able to go on and, and use your work to help other people. To me, that 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 is quite strong, and it does take a lot of courage. I really look. I thank you, and I actually don't see that as courage. I feel very humbled to be able to walk with the women and children that I do. But I guess for me. I'm able to use what was an extremely negative, life-changing lived experience in a really positive manner because I can truly reach my clients and develop a very trusting, positive relationship which enables them to heal and recover. So I, I just feel really privileged in what I do, Gareth. And I guess for them, it takes away that sense of loneliness, doesn't it? We can talk to someone else and they realise that, look, it's not just yeah. me. I'm not isolated. 
this happens to other people. I agree. And also because perpetrators, you know, make it very clear to their victim that they are the cause of the problem, you know, they're, they're, they're causing it, it's because of them it's happening, for them to actually sit down and meet with other women and know that that is not the case at all. What I will tell you in my work is the big sigh that comes out from the client once they know what is really going on for them. It's massive. And that that to, to sort of be in that space with them, that's really, you know, a very moving experience. You could almost, you could almost see the weight lifting off people's shoulders, I'd imagine. You can hear it. You can actually hear this massive exhale. And I think that's the point, really. Dawn, before we wrap it up, 16 days of activism, can you give us a bit of an overview about what it is and what it means to you? Certainly. Thanks for asking, Gareth. So 16 days of activism is a point in time globally where we focus upon the issue of domestic and family violence. The first day of that period is the International Elimination of Violence Against Women Day. That kicks it off. But I think the whole point, what it means to me, is I am an activist by virtue of my lived experience. So I guess it's it's a specific time when we can really put the focus on the issue, Gareth. So what it means to me is I can probably get a little bit more louder than I normally might be about domestic and family violence. And we need that. We need those loud voices. We do need activism because the conversations, and I guess this is the point, we need non-abusive men to be having conversations with other non-abusive men, but when they see abuse or domestic or family violence happening, to call it out, call it out, name it. You know, so for me, this period, I, I really am hoping to see more focus on men making abusive men accountable, Gareth, because perpetrators of domestic and family violence listen to men, seriously. That's a strong point to get across too. I think any anyone out there listening to this, you know, we, we, we all need to take it onto our, onto our shoulders to call out things like this and, and to let people know, hey, this is not okay and that we won't stand for it as a society. No, no, I agree. It's a community problem. It's happening on the ground. It's happening in our sports clubs. You know, it's happening in our workplaces. It's happening all around us. And um, I think when we look towards other countries that have actually moved this issue forward in a really good way, it gives me hope that, um, you know, one day Australia will have much better outcomes and much reduced figures in the context of domestic and family violence. As a father of young kids, I hope you're right. Here, here. Dawn, it's always really, really awesome, really enlightening. Always great catching up and having a chat. We haven't got to do it in person as much lately, so hopefully that'll be changing again soon. Yeah, next week. <laughs> awesome. Um, but thank you so much for, for giving up some of your time to come on the Communities and Their Own podcast and talk 16 Days of Activism and, and Family Violence. Um, is there any, anything that you want to get across before we sign off? 
No, you know, I just, as I've just really said, I really am appealing to the good men out there to really reflect on this issue. And my, my question to them, what could they do about this? And what would they do if indeed they came across it in, in, in their friendship circle or a friend in a pub having a beer and denigrating women? You know, what would they do? That's, I think, what I'd like to see changing. Men having good conversations and um, being continuing to be a good example to men who are still trying to get it right. Excellent. I think that's a good message for people to take home. So, Dawn, thank you so much. for Thank you for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you again, Dawn, for joining us on the Communities and Middle Name podcast to discuss all things family violence, 16 days of activism, and to share your experiences both both here and in the UK working in the family violence field and uh, also your experience as a circuit breaker, which I'm sure is not easy to talk about. So thank you once again. Uh, this podcast is, of course, brought to you by Grampians Community Health. Grampians Community Health offers a wide range of services right across Western Victoria from uh, the Pyrenees Shire right across to the West Wimmera and Ariambiac Shire. So it's a large swathe of this beautiful state that we call home. Head to our website, gch.org.au, for more information, or you can visit one of our main offices in Ararat, Stall, or Horsham. And you can call us uh, between 9 to 5 on Mondays and Fridays, Monday to Fridays, I'm sorry, um, 53587400. You can follow us on social media. On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash Grampians Community Health, or just search for Grampians Community Health on your Facebook page, and it'll pop up. On Twitter and Instagram as well, at GCH Grampians. That's our handles on both of those. So give us a follow on the socials, and you can uh, keep up to date with what's happening in the world of health and well-being in our region, and of course, what's happening at Grampians Community Health. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Podbean, on iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Amazon, uh, Google Podcasts, anywhere good podcasts are found. Like, subscribe, never miss an episode. Feel free to share it with your mates. And if you would like to leave a written five-star review, that would be absolutely fantastic if you if you did. We'd love that. Also makes it easier for people to find a podcast. And drop us a line on social media as well if you've you know, had a listen and you've liked it. And even if you've left a review, and um, we love seeing it, we love reading the, the reviews. It's really cool. So thank you to anyone who has left a review, by the way. This podcast was recorded and produced on the traditional lands of the Jabwarung people. And we'd like to pay our respects to elders past, present, and emerging. The intro and outro music was by Andrew Parsons, and that is an original composition used with his permission. Thanks again for joining us. It's been another another interesting show and another show where I've learned a lot, and let's hope that we can get people talking about uh, family violence and talking about, you know, respect for women and getting that message across that we need to call out when we see bad behaviour, we need to call out when we hear distasteful jokes or things that are demeaning, etc. 
So if you take nothing away from that podcast, from this podcast, please take away that message that we need to stand up and say enough is enough and show respect for everybody in our community, but particularly for women and children. Thanks, everyone. My name is Gareth Oliver. I really hope you've enjoyed this show. I'll be back again shortly with another episode of the Community is Our Middle Name podcast. And it's brought to you, of course, by Grampians Community Health.